0: America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show.
1: And another great day, another great year, in fact, in this greatest nation on God's green earth. The year is just getting started. Uh, But that means that it's an appropriate time to look back on the biggest winners and losers in politics. Well, and also we can say in film in uh, the year 2023. Uh, We will be talking about the winners and losers politically as um, denoted by the uh, good people at The Hill magazine joined by Niall Stanage from The Hill. Uh, We will also be talking about uh, my list of the best films of 2023 which has some very unconventional choices, I will admit. And uh, talking about the ongoing furor concerning the resignation yesterday of uh, Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard. She has already been uh, replaced, at least on a temporary basis, a provisional basis, by the provost of Harvard University whose name is Alan Garber. He uh, is somebody that I don't really know a great deal about, but I do know that he has a remarkable academic background, which you would expect, uh, but a background as both a a PhD and an MD, and he got those degrees simultaneously. So he is not only a doctor, he is a doctor doctor. His name is Alan Garber. Oh, yes, and uh, considering the fall of Claudine Gay and how much of that was premised on the idea that when she was giving congressional testimony and she was asked about uh, whether it violated Harvard's code of conduct uh, for people to be calling for the genocide of the Jewish people, including presumably their Jewish fellow students, she said it depends on the context, as if there is some appropriate context where you can call for genocide against uh, Jews, blacks, or anyone else. Um, in, in any event, uh, we will, uh, Alan Garber, uh, the new provisional president of uh, Harvard, uh, Professor Garber, Dr. Dr. Garber is Jewish. And uh, (laughs) I'm sure that had uh, nothing at all to do with uh, the uh, move by the board of directors. The Wall Street Journal today, in their column about Gay's resignation, is uh, talking about uh, uh, the possibility of Larry Summers coming back. You may remember Larry Summers, former treasury secretary, was president of Harvard. He lost his presidency to some great extent because he gave a comment at one point where he said that uh, there were reasons that there were inherent differences between men and women, that uh, women were less likely to be represented in the sciences and in engineering than men. <laughs> well, that was... that. That was the end of, um, of Larry Summers' service as president of Harvard, but he did last longer uh, by a long shot, several years, uh, to the uh, very, very brief tenure of uh, Claudine Gay, which was the briefest in the 388-year history of Harvard University. Um, meanwhile, there is uh, this from MSNBC... Uh, Mara Gay, who I believe is no relation at all to Claudine Gay, was very upset that her namesake, Claudine Gay, had resigned uh, from her presidency at Harvard, and she had this to say. This is clip one.
2: The thing that really disturbs me is the unrelenting campaign from the right and from some Mm -hmm. conservative activists to... Uh, slander, discredit, and ultimately, I, I guess uh, you know somebody used the phrase uh, "we've claimed a scalp." I said, I think, on uh, social media, you know, to essentially unseat gay and other presidents as well um, when they don't like, uh, you know, not just the handling of uh, the horrific attacks on Israel on October 7th, the way that that was handled on campus, but really anything else uh, that they don't like about uh, not just these presidents, but actually what they would call wokeism on campus. Mm -hmm. So this is really an attack on academic freedom. It's an attack on uh, people who are pluralists and believe that you should bring people from all over the world together uh, of diverse backgrounds
1: Okay, where is this an attack on people of diverse backgrounds? Is, uh, is that because uh, the, Claudine Gay was the first uh, black female president of Harvard University? Is it all always about race? That seems to be where Mara Gay is going and she makes that fairly explicit as she continues.
2: This is an attack on diversity this is an attack on multiculturalism and on many of the values that a lot of us hold dear. And in fact, anybody really who is around my age in their 30s who went to any uh, public, major public university or private university in this country—you know—these are values that are very important. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's why these presidents are under attack. That's why Clouding the gay, was under attack. The fact that she's a black woman and the first person uh, who is a, a black american to lead harvard uh, only added to their thirst to dethrone her and you know those attacks you don't have to i don't have to say that they're racist because you can hear and see the racism in the attacks when people like vivek ramaswamy say uh you know uh, okay this is this is a problem about diversity and hiring i mean. This is racism as well, so there's a lot of different layers here, but I don't want to miss the attacks on academic freedom.
1: Okay, I bet she wants to bring up racism. And by the way, Vivek Ramaswamy is also a person of color, right? So the the idea that, um, I think that uh, one of the points that was made by Heather McDonald in her piece today, which we mentioned earlier in the show. She had a piece today in the uh, City Journal and the Manhattan Institute's uh, publication. She's a fellow at Manhattan Institute that Claudine Gay was hired because of her race. If you look at her academic record or record of achievement, the idea that uh, she would have received the presidency of Harvard or been honored with it if uh, she weren't a, a black female. I think that, uh, that Heather MacDonald has a very defensible point on that. Uh, meanwhile, Elise Stefanik, who really did more than anybody else to bring this about by asking very effectively relevant questions to the presidents of the three universities, MIT and University of Pennsylvania and Harvard, uh, she was on Fox News, and she said this. I think it became clear. I've said it has long
2: been clear. Everyone knows it. Harvard actually knew it deep down that her presidency was untenable. Uh, but I have been concerned that they tried to make this a political issue. It's not political. It's about academic integrity and moral leadership. And I'm a Harvard graduate myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that the motto of Harvard is the very top truth. And the Harvard Corporation absolutely failed in their responsibility to oversee this institution. They should have dealt with this immediately after the congressional hearing, like Penn did.
1: Okay. Uh, this is uh, uh, Elise Stefanik. She is uh, obviously uh, an up-and-comer in the Republican Party. And part of her performance in those congressional hearings, uh, according to many reports, could get her nomination as vice president, to which she would be open. Uh, was she one of the political winners of 2023? Well, at the very end of the year, I think she almost surely was. Uh, we will be talking to Niall Stanage of The Hill, uh, who is the White House columnist for The Hill, about his, um, his new analysis about the political winners. He who is the White House columnist for The Hill and his reported column which is called the memo uh, focuses on the Biden White House of course the 2024 election and national politics in journal uh, in general he is one of the Hill's most frequent uh, television commentators Uh, Niall congratulations on your selecting the political winners of 2023 and uh, of course the most controversial selection would be your selection of uh, President Trump as one of the uh, winners uh, for 2023. Uh, how, how can you make that selection in the face of four different indictments and what is it 91 charges that he is facing and the trials really have barely begun to function? Uh, how has he been able to make, turn that into something that makes him a winner?
0: It's a completely valid question. Michael, I'm glad to join you. The reason that uh, I listed the former president as a winner in this piece was because he ended the year in a stronger position than he began the year, despite those indictments that you mentioned despite those charges that you mentioned and really as a political matter i mean it's very clear that he is the overwhelming favorite to be the republican nominee um having started the year looking rather vulnerable he had been criticized as you well remember for some of his endorsements in the midterms, a uh, number of key races were lost by Trump in, in endorsees, and uh, Ron DeSantis looked a lot stronger then than he does now. So overall, there has been a rallying around the former president, clearly by Republican voters, and that's basically the reason why we put
1: him as a winner. And would you be surprised to see him underperform in in Iowa it's it's one of those things where a number of people have said that uh, president trump is running so far ahead in Iowa and uh, he has said he is going to dominate the state if if he wins but even wins by a narrow margin could that be something that actually ends up counting against him it could do
0: expectations are very really, very important in politics the polls right now, even in Iowa, are showing him leading by about 30 points. That puts the race in a very peculiar place, expectation-wise. If Trump were to win by 15 points, is that somehow disappointing? Um, I mean, that's a you know a peculiar situation. But the reality of the situation, it's worth pointing out, perhaps, Michael, that of course then candidate Trump lost the 2016 Iowa caucuses to Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. So there is some vulnerability for Trump here, but just looking at the, not only the polls, but the kind of crowds that he draws in Iowa and elsewhere, I mean, it, he does seem clear and away the front runner to get the nomination.
1: I, I don't think anyone could disagree with you on that. Uh, you also list as one of the winners of this year, uh, the former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley, And you say very simply, and I think inarguably, Haley is the only person who has emerged from this year's GOP presidential campaign with her reputation unambiguously enhanced. Explain. Mm.
0: Really, the fact is that Nikki Haley at the start of, now last year, start of 2023, you know, people thought she would probably run. They didn't know how that would go. There was a a fear, I think, that she would be seen as a sort of a, an afterthought in the race, and that is not what has occurred. She has become the clear, uh, uh, well, one of the two clear alternatives to former President Trump. And whereas Ron DeSantis has underperformed, Haley has overperformed. It's also worth noting that one of the reasons that is the case is because she did very well, certainly at the first three debates, uh, was very clear and composed and all the rest. And so all of those things, I think, uh, have enhanced her reputation. She's a bigger national figure now than she was 12 months ago.
1: Speaking of that, there's increasing conversation about uh, President uh, Trump winning the nomination and then asking her to be his running mate. Uh, Quick questions, do you think President Trump would even consider that? And do you think that uh, Ambassador Haley would accept that designation? She
0: has left the door open to it, at least to some degree in her recent comments. I'm not at all convinced he would ask or consider it all that seriously. If he did choose her as a running mate, it would cause quite a lot of backlash among his supporters, as you know as well as I do, Michael. The MAGA world does not have a particularly high opinion of Nikki Haley. (laughs) The other thing I would say is that there are other figures that the former president could choose as a running mate who might give some similar advantages to choosing Nikki Haley. I mean, if he wanted to choose a female running mate, for example... Christy Noam, the governor of South Dakota would seem a good uh, potential pick and one that would fit more easily or smoothly with the Trump brand I would say um, if, he, if the gender question didn't bother him I mean I have heard for example J.D. Vance being talked up as a potential running mate perhaps uh, I think that the former president is unlikely to look kindly upon the kind of criticisms that Nikki Haley has levelled against him during her campaign so far
1: What about Elise
0: Stefanik? Possible. It's possible. I mean, Elise Stefanik has certainly uh, been a very vigorous defender of the former president. I wonder, given Trump's liking of people who are uh, kind of famous, for want of a better term, or at least have a kind of uh, TV charisma to them, if Elise Stefanik is maybe, I don't know, slightly um, not, you know, too low watch <laughs> for Trump. It, it's a, These things are difficult questions to get into his mind about because he doesn't want to be overshadowed either, but he tends to like people who have a certain kind of TV appeal to them.
1: Yes, and people who are very, very devoted to him. Now, getting to the losers for 2023, mm. uh, you... Have I mean Kevin McCarthy obviously had a very rough year, no question about that. Uh, Ron DeSantis, same thing. You 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 bring up the uh, he's you say he's maybe not the biggest political loser, but he's the biggest disappointment. That um, Niall, do you want to? Can you stay with us for another segment here?
0: I can stay with you for a few minutes. Yes.
1: Yes. Good. Good. We are speaking with Niall Stanage, Who is the White House columnist for The Hill and talking about his selection for political winners and losers of 2023. So where does he place Vivek Ramaswamy, who was also uh, viewed by some people as a potential running mate for Donald J. Trump? Uh, Is that even conceivable? Is that a good idea? Winning ticket? Uh, We'll get to that and more with Niall Stanage of The Hill coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show, all across America.
0: I really enjoy your program. I listen to talk radio all day. You're definitely right up there, the cream of the crop. This is The Michael Medved Show, 1-800-955-1776, The Michael Medved Show.
1: A glass of your favorite Cabernet. Fresh asparagus. Hollandaise on the side. A filet. Medium rare. You unfurl your napkin with a flare. On the Michael Medved Show, speaking uh, with Niall Stanage, who is the White House columnist for The Hill. Uh, he has uh, authored most recently his list of political winners and losers of 2023. And uh, you have one politician who uh, has evoked some very passionate responses, both positive and negative. He's your only uh, candidate who you designate as mixed, both uh, winner and loser. So who is the guy?
0: This is Vivek Ramaswamy, who I think firstly did divide opinion and does divide opinion. You're clearly right about that the reason we have his fortunes as mixed over the year is at least in the political sphere no one really knew who he was a year ago and certainly when he first entered the presidential race he did engender a degree of excitement particularly from people who wanted you know a non-politician a breath of fresh air someone younger all of that now the Bloom seems to have come off the rose, rather, for Mr. Ramsram more recently. (laughs) Obviously, he's at a fairly modest level in polls. There have been debate performances that have incurred a considerable amount of criticism, including the time he went after Nikki Haley's daughter for the daughter's use of TikTok. So all (laughs) that being said, he's the one person we have as mixed.
1: Right, and you point out that uh, when he he went after Nikki Haley's daughter, she said, you're just scum, uh, mm-hmm. and the microphone heard it, which was actually a, a moment in her campaign, which a lot of people thought did well for her. Um, I've heard the argument, and I don't necessarily embrace the argument, but it seems to me worth considering that uh, for two reasons – uh ramaswamy would probably be on trump's list somewhere of potential members of his administration or even as a potential running mate because number one more than any of the other candidates running against trump he's been a- incredibly supportive of trump he says uh, repeatedly he is the greatest president of this century he uh he's very supportive of president trump on this issue of uh being stricken because of the Fourteenth Amendment, Section Three, he's said that uh, if Trump is stricken from any ballots, he wants to be stricken from the ballots, and and also, I, I mean, he can be a pretty nasty, difficult contender in that debate format. Uh, don't you think Trump would be amused by the idea of Ramaswamy debating Kamala Harris?
0: I think he would. I think that has some appeal. And I think you're quite right that Ramaswamy's backing of Trump has been so vigorous that it would, I think, pretty clearly endear him to the former president. Um, there has been, I think, some suggestion, if I recall correctly, recently from Trump, that he believed that Ramaswamy would eventually endorse him, but he paid some level of tribute to him, and Trump did, in, in saying that. So, certainly I think there could be a role in a future Trump administration for Vivek Ramaswamy. The running mate question, it's possible, I mean, one of the things with Trump is that he has a great appetite for doing stuff that will startle people or draw comment, and Ramaswamy certainly ticks those boxes. I wonder, would he be seen by Trump as a little bit too risky in some ways. Um, you know, obviously the former president's not immune to taking very substantial risks, but would he see Ramaswamy as what what would Ramaswamy bring to a Trump ticket that Trump wouldn't already have? I think that would be the
1: <laughs> That's a very interesting question. The one thing is that a um, President Trump right now doesn't have the warmest possible feelings, as he's made very clear for his former vice president, Mike Pence. Uh, temperamentally, it's hard to think of two people more polar opposites than Mike Pence and Vivek Ramaswamy, right?
0: Absolutely, yes. That would certainly be uh, moving in completely the opposite direction from where he stood in 2016. And, you know, as you know, Michael, there's a thing in politics, the idea that the electorate at large chooses to the president, uh, the presidential candidate least like the one that has gone before. So I suppose in this instance, it would be uh, the, the former president choosing a vice presidential running mate that could be as unlike the one who went before as possible.
1: Last uh, question. Uh, uh, you list Mike Johnson clearly as one of the winners. Nobody knew who he was. No one could pick him out of a lineup. Before he was elected as Speaker. Now he's second in line to the presidency. Uh, What what about Mike Johnson? Do you believe that he has a long-term political future for the Republican Party?
0: I think he has a medium-term political future, which is better than Kevin McCarthy had when he took the job and only (laughs) lasted in it approximately nine months. You know, I think Speaker Johnson has the advantage, and I mentioned this in the piece where the the process of selecting a new speaker was so chaotic and burdensome that one of uh, the speaker's biggest advantages is that his colleagues don't have any great appetite to go back into that maelstrom again. Now, against that, clearly the math is very, very tight for Republicans. I mean, it always was in this Congress, but has become more so... With uh, George Santos and, of course, Kevin McCarthy himself decided to give up his seat as well as uh, being ousted from the speakership. So, you know, Speaker Johnson has very little room for manoeuvre, but he has the great advantage that there's no obvious rival or obvious alternative within the party for that position. And that's a, a sizable advantage to have right now, I would say.
1: Uh, Niall Stanage, appreciate your time and I know that you do have to run his piece on political winners and losers. Uh, we'll be posting that at our website at michaelmedved.com uh, Happy New Year to you Niall and look forward to speaking with you again. Um, here on the Medved Show there's a it's rare that you, you find a just a glaring uh error misstatement from someone who is one of the more balanced it seems to me and and uh impressive people on cable tv but uh, jake tapper at cnn was involved in a conversation about the attempt to ban trump from the ballot he was talking to Kristen soltus anderson and listen carefully
2: trump's legal team is appealing the decision my main Secretary of
1: State to try to remove him from the state's primary ballot. We've never seen anything like this. Um, of course all, we've also never seen a, a president actually trying to foment uh, uh, violence at the Capitol to stop the counting of votes. Uh, what do you make of it?
2: I continue to believe that every time these states take him off the ballot, whether the primary or eventually if he becomes the nominee try to do it for the general, that it would be appropriate for the Supreme Court to intervene because I don't think that in this case it's good for voters to not have the chance to decide that they don't want to have Donald Trump. But I frankly think it would be politically smart for Joe Biden to come out and say oh, everybody who is on my side I get it. I've said that what I think he did that day was insurrection, but I'm not afraid of this guy. And I think voters are going to choose me in the end. I think that'd be politically savvy for what,
1: him. I, I think she's right. What she says, what, what i found very striking there is he says Trump was fomenting violence. You can talk about Trump's involvement with January 6th, but it's clear he was not fomenting violence he he asked people to fight but he also said to uh, march up to the Capitol building very peacefully and patriotically and I'm surprised that Kristen Soltis Anderson didn't say well wait 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 Uh, the only president who has actually been fomenting violence isn't that one of the issues that the Supreme Court would actually address Though there is a possibility And this has also come up That generally findings of fact Are uh, left to the lower courts And with the Colorado Supreme Court Now being challenged, being appealed They actually claim to have had a uh, an entire trial Where they did find Trump was an insurrectionist We'll be right back on the Medved show The Michael Medved Show. I want to thank Patrick in Long Beach, California, uh, down in the L.A. Uh, area, in L.A. County, actually. Patrick uh, writes in, I've been listening to you online for years, and I'm signing up for your Medhead program to show support. I appreciate your balanced, humane, and intelligent insight and commentary. Uh, and by the way, we, we've been getting... A lot of emails like that, and I'm I'm very pleased. And I, I do want to suggest to folks it's a great time at the beginning of a brand new year and lots of brand new initiatives on the Medved Show to uh, join us as a Medhead Plus member. There's a special offer where you get 20% off right now. And that gives you access to everything MedHead, commercial-free, on-demand, Michael Medved radio show podcast, in the light of history podcast, commentaries, the calls of the week, and a Medved history store discounts. And in fact, a MedHead Plus member gives you access to all of the material in the Medved history store for free. Uh, You can stream every single audio program that is available and hundreds of hours of uh, insightful history programs from the Revolutionary War to America's best war and America's worst war and uh, the uh, Thanksgiving true history, the difference between pilgrims and Puritans uh, and uh, the secret history of the Christmas holiday uh, which was just very appropriate Oh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, all available for uh, MedHead membership um, members. And you can go to uh, michaelmedved.com or medvedhistorystore.com and uh, join us. Please do. Uh, meanwhile, there is so much uh, talk back and forth about the resignation of uh, Claudine Gay as the president of Harvard uh, Salih Kapoor was on MSNBC and she was one of those people who believes that uh, somehow Claudine Gay was a, a victim of uh, political persecution. Uh, listen.
2: Broadly speaking, Alex, Republicans see these Ivy League institutions, these elite colleges, as an ideal foil for them to try to press their message uh, politically speaking. Yeah, and so in such charming uh, rhetoric, they are dancing on somebody's grave. But let's make the point: she is not leaving the campus; she is going to remain as a professor of government as well as African American studies.
1: Okay, uh, Republicans see these Ivy League institutions as an ideal foil for that foil for them to press their message. I just. A little bit of context here Uh, (laughs) I mean really uh, in terms of these institutions how about Harvard and Yale Uh, and Penn Uh, President Trump has a degree from University of Pennsylvania Uh, President Bush has degrees from both Yale and Harvard he has a Harvard business degree a Yale undergraduate degree Uh, Dick Cheney went to Yale uh, before he switched to go back home for romantic reasons with uh, his, his wife, Liz Cheney. Uh, but he, uh, he has a Yale background. Mitt Romney has degrees from both Stanford and uh, from Harvard. And in fact, he has two degrees from Harvard, both law and business school. So to say that the Republican Party is all made up of people who have uh, are ashamed of or want to distance themselves from elite universities is uh, a little bit inaccurate. I mean, and Ron DeSantis has degrees from both Yale and Harvard. He was captain of the Yale baseball team. And he actually, I'm fascinated by the fact that he he batted over 300 in his career. He was uh, an All-American for the Yale baseball team and then went on to Harvard Law School. And you go on to uh, Ted Cruz, was Princeton, Harvard Law School. So, uh, again, to say that Republicans are universally contemptuous or angry or dismissive of elite universities is a little bit one-dimensional. Uh, speaking of more than one-dimensional, I hope, I um, I wanted to share with you the process of agonizing consideration and uh, many, many hours actually watching movies this past year. Uh, it was kind of difficult to come up with a list of my 10 best films of the year because there are a lot of very good films, particularly as is usually happens toward the end of the year. So we will post this on our website at michaelmedved.com, where I hope people can join us. But uh, in, in ascending order, with my 10th tenth, uh, tenth best up to the very first bet, best as the grand climax, my choices for the 10 best films of 2023... A maestro is number 10. And no, I do not think that the false nose that they added uh, to Bradley Cooper was in any sense at all anti-Semitic. Uh, actually, it made him look and remarkably like Leonard Bernstein. And uh, this is a, a towering performance, outstanding performance by Bradley Cooper, also directed the film. Killers of the Flower Moon, it was much too long. It's three and a half hours long. And there's very few movies that really can hold your attention for three and a half hours. This one does. And again, remarkable performances and a little-known episode in American history, uh, well told. The other historical film, number eight on my list, Oppenheimer was also a very long film, about a half hour shorter than uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. But again, a fascinating subject and a fascinating personality that it's about. And then uh, 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 Leo, which is an animated film with the voice of Adam Sandler, uh, which is a little-known delight. I can't imagine people watching it and not enjoying it. Past Lives, which is a romantic film about a a Korean girl whose family comes to the United States, and uh, uh, in fact, we're going to be giving you our review, and we will do the top five uh, tomorrow, because we have our review of Past Lives, which does make it to my best of the year. We'll be right back. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. Greta Lee plays a Korean girl who comes to the United States at age 12, but leaves behind intense memories of her best friend from school in the lushly romantic past lives.
2: Childhood sweethearts who reconnect 20 years later, and realize they were meant for each other. He
1: was just this kid in my head for such a long time. I think I just missed him. Written, produced, and directed by a supremely talented newcomer named Celine Song, this movie works in part because all the characters are so sympathetic, including the adoring and indulgent husband, who the main character has acquired during the 20 years she was separated from her childhood fixation. Past Lives rated PG-13 may be slow moving, but it's worth lingering over its irresistible lyricism. Three stars for one of the most memorable films of of the year that makes the past of these characters feel like your own and on the Michael Medved show uh, tomorrow we will be coming back at you with the top five films of 2023 where I agonized among the top three because the all of them which would have been worthy of the best film of the year award seems to me Uh, tomorrow we'll also be speaking to Heather McDonald, one of our favorite guests. Uh, She has written about the problems at Harvard being much deeper than uh, one lame and lousy president Uh, and uh, about the, the way that those difficulties indicate some of the core problems with the left today. Heather McDonald, next time on the Medved Show. Also, uh, if you stop walking on the street, you could get fined $1,000. Why and where? Uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. And uh, there's Roy Teixeira, who is a uh, very fine anal- analyst, has uh, asked a question How did we get stuck with Biden and Trump again? Uh, We will talk about that. And a leader of the Trump campaign thinks Trump can actually win New York State and may rent Madison Square Garden to do it. Which leader of the Trump campaign? How about the candidate himself? We'll talk about that possibility and much more next time in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.